So Esther is a really interesting book to be preaching from. One of the distinguishing characteristics of Esther is that through the entire book, God's name is not mentioned, even once. When Martin Luther went through or led the Protestant Reformation, he decided that we should not even have the book of Esther in the, in the Bible as, as, they were, as he was redoing the, the Catholic Bible. He said, don't have it. it. It didn't fit with how he envisioned God and the people of God and his theology and all of that. So it's really interesting, I think, for us to consider why at all are we even preaching from Esther? Why are we using this text? Now, John Wesley would have argued with Luther in saying, it's the perfect text to illustrate God's provenient grace. As Methodists, we know that provenient grace is God acting even behind the scenes. It's that grace that goes on sometimes even without us realizing it. So there's a bit of a dialogue between Wesley and Luther here. And as we are good Methodists, we're going to hear from Esther today. Our scripture lesson for today comes to us from uh, Esther. I'll be reading all of chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, told the, told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him in the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther, explaining it to her, and charge her to go to the king and to make supplications to him and entreat him for her people. So Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a message from Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman comes into the king's court without being called, there is but one law. All are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come to the king's court for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's court you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity just for such a time as this. 
Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days or three nights. I and my maids will also fast as you do, and after I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him to do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Oh, the Lord's been good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need. The sun and the rain and the apple seed, oh, the Lord's been good to me. So there's been a really interesting dialogue going on recently about the NBA and the jerseys they are wanting to wear after all of the um, goings-on, beginning with the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the protests that followed. Several members of the NBA wanted to put slogans on their jerseys, and so they've been having this dialogue. And the NBA decided that that would be okay and gave the, the players a list of appropriate slogans, um, asking for social justice, asking for social change. And so they've been having this conversation maybe over the last month, but just last week, LeBron James spoke up. Now, if you know anything about him, you know that he is one of the great philanthropists in that sport, great great activists for social justice and all kinds of great things for his community in Cleveland and beyond. And so he's just been on it this whole way. And James said something I found really interesting. He said, you know, I'm going to choose not to put a slogan on my jersey. Nothing wrong with others who want to. That's fine. Let them do it. But I'm not going to do it because I think that my life must speak for itself. I think that my life is what gives testimony to my beliefs and who I am and how I feel led to speak up for others. Now, I'm not going to preach about the slogans and and the protests and social justice necessarily, but what I am going to talk about today is a sphere of influence. We all have a sphere of influence. James has his. Athletes have theirs. Of course, we have ours. What do we do with our sphere of influence? Do we put slogans on t-shirts or hats? Do we put signs in yards? Do we put messages on social media? How is it that we step into our sphere of influence, not for our own sake, mind you, but for the sake of others? Because God uses God's people to act on behalf of others. And that's where the intersection of this story of Esther comes into play. Esther is in the right place at the right time. She's in the right place at the right time to speak up, not just for herself, although there is some bearing on her own life in this action, but she speaks up not just for herself. She speaks up for those who have no voice, the oppressed, the slaves, those who've been carried off by the Babylonians and who are are now living there. And so we hear this story of Esther, and she's not at the table, not yet. That comes in chapter 5 and 6 and so forth. So we have a bit of a build-up to do before we get to the table with Esther and her king, before we get to witness her and, and how she chooses to use her influence for the sake of others. 
But the key point is, and what I want for us to go into a little bit more today, is where do we find ourselves? How is it that God wants to use our voices to speak up for others, particularly, biblically, for the oppressed? So we have to do a little bit of a Reader's Digest version of of Esther and the book of Esther because it's not well known. We don't talk about Esther a lot. As I said before, there's no mention of God in the whole book, not by name. And yet I think I see God working through God's people as God chooses to do, as he's chosen to do for thousands of years, as he continues to choose to do now. So we come to Esther and her story is simply this. The king in chapter one gets angry at his wife. The queen is disobedient and the king doesn't like it. And more than that, I love this, the nobles don't like it because they told the king that if the queen gets away in her disobedience, then their wives will disobey them. And they don't like that, don't need any uppity women around, right? So they say to the king, you need to banish her, and he does. She's out of there, done with. And then they arrange, perhaps you know this part of the story, they arrange a beauty contest. That's what it is. They parade all these women in front of the king, and being the king, he gets to choose whoever he wants. And he chooses Esther. Unbeknownst to him, she is of the Hebrew people. That would have been against the law in Babylon. The the Babylonian nobles, the king, would not marry outside of their race. And yet he chooses Esther. He doesn't know she's a Jew. He doesn't know she's a slave and an orphan. She's pretty low down on the hierarchy. Not only is she a slave, a person of another race, she's also an orphan, very little rights. She's also a woman, even fewer. (laughs) She's sold in a beauty contest after all. And yet, as the story develops, she proceeds on. She she is the queen's wife. She finds herself in his court. And as the maneuverings going on in and around the king and in and around Esther, his main advisor has decided that he didn't like the Jews and that the king could make money if he would just eliminate them altogether. The king says, okay, if I can make some money out of it, I'll do it. I'll take care of them. Just have them all executed. We'll take it. I mean, not been easy for the Hebrew people for millennia. Anyway, the king is convinced because it's going to bring him money that he can take care of the Jews. Esther's uncle, Mordecai, finds out about it and, of course, is devastated. They don't hide it from anybody. They post what they're going to do on on, um, little placards or or scrolls, if you will, and let everybody know what's coming up. The Jews know what's going on. And so Esther, being inside the king's court, perhaps isn't aware, so Mordecai makes sure she is. He wants her to know what the king is planning And he wants her to know, so she will do something about it. Now Esther, of course, remembers what happened to the first queen. Esther knows that neither man nor woman can come into the the king's presence if not invited, that it could mean certain death. So she's a little hesitant. Don't use me. This is, no. It's a little risky for me to act on behalf of others. Mordecai says, don't think you'll save yourself this way either. It's going to come out. And you yourself and your father's family might be killed for this action of the king. And even if you go, though, Mordecai says, and I love this, I love the faith. Mordecai says, even if you go, somebody else will be the agent of God and will help deliver the Jews. Reminds me when Jesus said, you know, even if we don't speak up and praise God, even the rocks will cry out. God's going to get a witness. 
God's going to take care and, and make sure his accomplishments are made. And, and so even if Esther opts out, God's going to get a witness. So make no mistake about it. There is hope, even in the most desperate of situations. And if we don't take action, God will find somebody else. But Lordy mercy, we'll miss out. We'll miss out on getting to be part of what God wants to do in this world. And so, of course, Mordecai goes back. Don't think you're going to get away, Esther, if you don't speak up. And, and here's what I think, Esther, Uncle Mordecai says. Here's what I think. I think you are in the right place at the right time to be an agent of God's deliverance. I think you are in the right place at the right time to be the person through whom God works to save your people. What a gift. What an opportunity, Esther. Don't throw it away. Perhaps you are here, and this is the line, perhaps you are here for such a time as this. And I believe that God over and over again says to his people, you are here people of God, for such a time as this. You are here in the midst of difficult circumstances, difficult times. You are here in the midst of, of, of the COVID virus. You are here for such a time as this. You are here to offer a word of hope. God's not gone anywhere. God will deliver us. Might use science to do it, I think. Might use our agreement to do it. We have to consent to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. But we, the people of God, are here for such a time as this. We are here for such a time as this to speak up for the oppressed, to speak up for those who are most affected when the powerful make, make decisions that don't consider their well-being. That's what's going on here. And it hasn't stopped. It's human nature, perhaps, but it's God's nature to work through his people for hope and for change, for justice, redemption for deliverance. You are here, Esther, for such a time as this. We are here, people of God, Harrison Church, for such a time as this. God, surely we'll speak through others if we keep silent, but do we really want to miss out on being who God called us to be? God forbid. God forbid. We don't take part in what God is doing in this world, acting for deliverance. Now, I want to highlight a few things from this text because I think it can tell us what to expect if, and most importantly, when we decide to speak up. It's a risk. It's a risk to speak truth to power. It's a risk to stand up for those who have no voice. Shirley was then. I mean, look at Esther. I mean, she could have lost her life. Look at Esther. She doesn't want to do it. She protests. She says, no, not me. Don't make me do it, Uncle Mordecai. He says, not about me. It's about the people of God. It's about you. It's about others. Don't make me do it. I won't make you. I know it's risky. I won't ask you to risk anything. You've got to make that decision for yourself. Actually, I guess he did ask her to risk, risk something. But she had a choice. She had agency. She could decide whether or not to act. We risk when we speak up as well. We risk disfavor. We risk relationships. We risk somebody discounting us. We risk ridicule. And yet, I, I actually don't think any of us risk our lives like Esther did. But 
We're called to risk nonetheless. Some might risk a job. Some might risk a, a social setting, a certain group of friends, what have you. But, but if God is in it, and if we are speaking on behalf of others, the oppressed, as Esther's doing, as God's done through his people throughout Scripture, throughout history, how can we not? How can we not? Now, I love what Esther does. So she, she hears what Mordecai says. She says, okay, perhaps I am here for such a time as this. What I want you to do, what I want the people of God to do is pray with me about it. I, I'm going to go to the king. I'm going to go. I will do what I can do. I will invite him to not one but two banquets. This is where the table comes in. I'll invite him to two meals. I'll host him for two dinners so that he will be able to hear me. But before I do, here's what I want. I'm not just going to speak up. I'm not just going to take this risk all on my own. People of God are never alone. What I want the people of God to do is to fast before I go. And by implication, when the people of God fast in the Hebrew Bible, they are praying. They are connecting to God. They are beseeching. They are, they are asking, petitioning God, intercessory prayer, all of that. She says, I want you to pray for me. I'll pray for myself. I'll ask my handmaids to do it too. I'm not going in this alone because I've got God's people around me. Same for us, right? When we speak up, when we take the risk, when we step out on behalf of another, we're not alone in faithfulness, we've got the people of God supporting us, encouraging us, praying for us. We pray for ourselves. It's part of what we can expect, need to expect when we speak up and take a risk and invite the king to the table. And here's another thing that I think is so important about this text. When we speak up, prayerfully, carefully, intentionally, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and support, all of that, when we speak up, we need to do it in such a manner that the one we're speaking to can actually hear us. Esther is very careful in how she approaches the king because she wants him to hear. Her goal is not to protest. Her goal is not just to intercede for the sake of intercession. Her goal is not just to stand up for her people because she knows it was God's will for her to do so. All of that is there. All of that is important. But her goal is to change the king's mind. And her goal is to bring justice for her people, to change the situation. And so if that is our goal, then we need to speak in a way that others can hear, especially the powerful, especially those who might have something to lose if the oppressed are lifted up and freed and delivered. Now, here's what I mean. I watched two friends of mine this last week argue on Facebook. Now, I'm not telling you what to say on Facebook or social media. Do what you want. But here's the thing. They were going back and forth in a very public way arguing about the coronavirus. One friend started it off saying, it's a hoax. Here's my documentation. I'm going to give you this article to read. He put up a link. It's a hoax. Don't believe it. They're tricking us. And you better vote in November. Well, then another friend came in and she posted 43 pages of obituaries from the Houston Chronicle. 903 persons per page who have died of coronavirus. She too said, you better vote. And they were going at it. Now, I know it's tempting. I, I post, I'm pretty strongly opinionated. My husband jumped in on the conversation, of course, and I, I get it. I get it. But were they affecting change in each other? 
And were they affecting change in, in the camps, if you will, of who they represent or people of like minds? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure our goal of change or of speaking up on behalf of others for their, I mean, their health's sake, for heaven's sake, if change is affected by, by going back and forth on social media or putting a bumper sticker on your car or a slogan on your jersey or a sign in your yard, I, I don't know if that leads to change. How is it that we speak to people with whom we disagree with strong opinions, I have them too. Again, like I said, we need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Well, in Esther, the answer is you enter into dialogue, you bring them up to the seat at the table, serve them a meal, have conversation. And even if you leave in different places, at least you're acting for the sake of relationship. You're acting within a relationship. You're acting so that there at least is a possibility that your people, that, that social change will happen. That people will act and make good choices and, and maybe governors, mayors, school boards, whatever, will make decisions for the sake of the people. And that individuals will make decisions for the sake of the people. Let's move on. Let's get through a tough time. It's what Esther was doing. It's what we're doing. Do we speak up? Please, God. To affect change, to attain a goal. And right now that goal could be anything from racial reconciliation to opening the schools. You name it. It's all there. But, but what is so important for the people of God to realize is that we do have a role. It's how God's acted, like I've said time and time again for millennia. God's people are agents of deliverance. God's people are to speak up, not just for their own sakes, but on sakes for, the, for the sake of others. That's part of the formula. God's people are to take risks. It's not comfortable to speak truth to power, to act for change, especially when there are so many comfortable with the way things are. It's, it's risky. It's not comfortable. And yet we do it with prayer. We do it surrounded by others who are supporting us, encouraging us in the faith as we encourage them. We do it in relationship, bringing someone to the metaphorical table so that we can have conversation and dialogue so that we're not just shouting past each other. We do it in a way that brings the deliverance that God wants, not us. The freedom and the presence of all people welcomed at the table. I do agree with Wesley. God is acting in so many different ways. And sometimes the people of God are right smack dab in the middle of it. And sometimes it's happening around the edges. But the, we, we always have the choice to be in the conversation. To be agents of change. To be part of the solution. Not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of every single person around us. Especially the oppressed. That's that's biblical. Who knows? Perhaps we are created for such a time as this. I believe it to the core of my being. Who knows? Perhaps we are created for such a time as this. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Take a risk. Do it in community. Restore relationships. Act for change that God wants. Be a part of God's deliverance in this great, 
big, beautiful world of his. Amen. And let us pray. God, we thank you for the call. And we thank you that you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit to be part of what you are doing in this world. Lord, you have created us for such a time as this. Help us to agree. Help us to say, I'll go, I'll do, I'll be, I'll speak. I'll act for change that I know will be done in your name, for your sake, for the sake of your world. God, there's so much before us, and yet you go with us, behind us, in front of us, beside us, all around us. God, help us to be part of your solution. For it's in the name of Christ and it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to do what we do. Amen. So you were created for such a time as this. I was created for such a time as this. We were created for such a time as this, as this, for this world needs the hope that the people of God can offer. This world needs the hope and the healing, spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of that way, that the people of God can be a part of. We are created for such a time as this. We are God's agents by the power of the Spirit, for deliverance. Amen.